Welcome to Smith Memorial Online. We're glad you joined us today. We're located in Collinsville, Virginia. At Smith Memorial, our motto is simple, follow Jesus. We'd like to encourage you to check us out online, www.smithmemorialumc.com. There you can find out more information about us, opportunities to serve, and ways to support this ministry through giving. We pray that God would add blessing this day to the hearing and the doing of God's Word. join together asking for the Lord's illumination. Illumine our hearts and our minds, O God, to hear your word for us and with us this morning. Speak, O divine word, for your servants are listening. Amen. We are continuing with our Study through Hebrews, or study through Hebrews, we are picking up in, with Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Every high priest chosen from among mortals is put in charge of things pertaining to God on their behalf, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is subject to weakness. And because of this, he must offer sacrifice for his own sins, as well as those for the people. And one does not presume to take this honor, but takes it only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So as Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. You are a priest forever, as he says also in another place, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Having been designated by God a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. About this, we have much to say that is hard to explain, since you have become dull in understanding. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic elements of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk, being still an infant is unskilled in the word of righteousness. 
But solid food is for the mature, for those whose faculties have been trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us go on toward perfection, leaving behind the basic teachings about Christ and not laying again the foundation. Repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Instructions about baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Friends, this is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me and for me? We are gathered together again, O God, as we so often do, to hear a word from you for us. Speak, O word of God, and may it be for the edification of your church. Place the cross before me, let none see me but you and your grace alone. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. For those who are a little older than I, you might remember the mid-80s, early 90s sitcom, Growing Pains. The sitcom that gave birth to the rising star, Kirk Cameron, before he ruined it with his career and left behind. That's for a different day. Nevertheless, I remember when I was growing up, I would watch this sitcom with my mom and my dad in the living room, albeit by the time I saw it, it was rerun. But for those not familiar or perhaps have forgotten the plot of this series, Growing Pains, it was about a doctor. His name was Jason Seaver. He played by Alan Thicke. He was a psychiatrist who moved his residency to Long Island, New York, so that his wife Maggie could resume her career. Their children, a girl-crazy boy named Mike, a brainiac girl named Carol, and a cute little Ben. Later in the series, they had another daughter, the precocious Christy, was born. This series, Growing Pains, travels with this family as they tackled issues that many earlier sitcoms wouldn't have touched. Drugs, suicide, peer pressure, alcoholism. The story, Growing Pains, was the story of a family that found themselves in the middle of what many families in the 80s and 90s were experiencing, while also touching on the heart of what so many people and living in the living rooms of their own houses were experiencing. The title Growing Pain couldn't have been more appropriate for a show that was all about just that, Growing Pains. It was a show that was about how we progress through life one step at a time in all of its forms, pain, disparity, laughter, and somehow it shows how this family, the Seaver family, emerged in many cases stronger than before. You see, the basis of this series, Growing Pains, 
For example, experiencing pain and suffering while emerging stronger than before is a glimpse of a picture that the author of Hebrews is presenting for us this day. You see, the preacher of Hebrews, he continues his sermon to this group of apathetic listeners by building up the work of Christ through the correlation with something that Israel itself would have been very familiar with, the role of a high priest. You see, the preacher at this point has spent considerable amounts of time describing Jesus as this eternal and final word of God spoken to the people through the Son. And now the preacher shifts their attention to another aspect of the work of this man, Jesus. His role as high priest. Now, if you don't remember what the role of the high priest was, in the early days when the people had been called out of Egypt, God instructs the people to build for him a tabernacle. And in this tabernacle says, I will be pleased to dwell with all of you, but I will select one from you to enter into the place that I reside. And in this place that I reside, in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle, I will speak to you, and you will go speak to the people. And in return, the people will speak to you, and you will come and speak to me. It was a role of mediator between the sacred and the secular. But before the preacher is able to jump into Jesus and his role as high priest, he makes sure that he sets some groundwork for us as it relates to the office of the high priest. The first thing the preacher wants his audience to know is this. No high priest... No high priest Israel has ever had before was a perfect high priest. You see, part of the role of the high priest was to prepare the, sacrifice, the sacrificial offerings for the sins of the people. But over and over and over again in the Hebrew Bible, what we find is first God's saying to the high priest, you go purify yourself before you offer purifications for others. Hence, every sacrifice that was made by a high priest was limited since the one who was offering the sacrifice needed the sacrifice for themselves. They needed to be forgiven. They needed to be purified. The second thing the preacher wants us all to see, and perhaps equally as important, is the idea that the role of the high priest was a calling and not something that you were elected for. Not something that you ran on to be able to say, I want this position. I remember when the Catholic Church was in the process of electing its new pope, the one that we would now have as Francis, one of the disqualifying markers that I remember the announcers and commentators talking about, that a disqualifying marker of a pope is someone who actually wanted to be a pope. Why? Because such a desire to be in such a high position automatically disqualifies you because that person is certainly too haughty for the job. So it's important that whoever the high priest was, 
It was someone who received their position through being called to it. And not someone who received it by wanting to be it. It was important that the person who was called to the high priesthood was someone that when they were called to it, they immediately recognized their unworthiness to be it. So this high priest would go and would make sacrifices for the sins of the people. And this method of atonement for sins, while certainly effective, was limited. Because it needed to be repeated over and over and over again. It's kind of like our prayer life with confession. It needs to be repeated over and over and over. It's not simple enough for us to do it once a week because I've, by the time I've finished my confession, nine times out of ten, I need to confess again. So the role of the high priest was one that always was limited. Never fully sufficient. So what did the people need? What the people needed was they needed to have a person they could relate to. They experienced one who was just like them in every manner. It needed someone that experienced what we experience, that knows suffering, that knows misfortune, that knows pain, but also someone that knows the other parts of our lives, exuberance, joy, kinship. We needed someone to be able to resonate with us. But the author of Hebrews also says that while we need someone who is exactly like us, if we want it to ever have hope for permanency and sufficiency, we need someone who is like us in every way except for sin. And this is where Hebrews gets very interesting for me. We all know as I'm going through this whole thing of the high priest, we all know who is going to be offered, right? Let's not act like we don't know that. We all have been trained through church school to be able to say, if you don't know the answer to a church question, what should you say? Jesus, right? And nine times out of ten, you'll be right. Like, we've already learned that. So as we're going through this whole thing, we already know that Jesus will be the answer that's provided. Cool. No problems there. But for me, the way that Jesus is offered as the answer is strange. In the days of his flesh, the preacher says, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became the source of all eternal salvation for all who obey him. The picture that Hebrews paints is a Jesus who is in the process of learning. And how does Jesus learn? He learns through suffering. Experiencing the role or calling in which God had sent him to fulfill. 
That's really strange language for us. And it's strange language for us for a variety of reasons, let alone the basic belief of our faith. That Jesus was God incarnate, in flesh. So why then might God, Jesus, not know the things about God? Why must He learn them? That's strange for me. And second, why would Jesus need to have suffering as an important part of His overall being made perfect? For us. Why? It doesn't make sense. I mean, we all want a God that takes away suffering. Not a God who enters into suffering in an effort to be made perfect. It's what we post on our Facebooks all the time or any other social media. We want things to go away. And yet, here we find in Hebrews a God who enters into, who learns from suffering, who learns to be obedient. Why does this Jesus need to learn obedience? He is God. Why doesn't the preacher just say what the Apostle Paul always says, that Christ simply was obedient to the will of God? The answer, and you can read commentaries and they'll go on and on and it's worth reading, but the answer for me is quite simple. To become like us and what we are as his role as a son, Jesus must set aside, as the Christ hymn of Philippians 2 tells us, all those things that were rightfully His. In order to become like us, He had to set aside all those things that were rightfully His for us. Thus Christ Himself, through suffering, through living the human experience, became and modeled for us through His obedience that which we had no previous model for. We had no capacity to see what a life lived in holiness was. Why? Because the highest person we had needed to offer sacrifices for themselves because they were flawed. It's like coming to church on Sunday and looking at me and saying, that's what I'm supposed to be. Now I try, but I'm going to come up short. I'm not always going to get it right. I'm going to say the wrong things. I'm, I'm going to be... Wrong sometimes. While I'll always say that in the midst of your suffering, you can call me and I'll be there, I also have my own will sometimes that makes it hard for me to fully invest myself into suffering all the time. And yet, Christ learned this obedience. He modeled it for us. And this obedience that He modeled for us is what the author of Hebrews is later going to call a life lived in faith. 
And friends, a life lived in faith is one that encounters suffering along the way sometimes. But not just in the case of physical suffering. The physical suffering of the human experience that has its full gamuts from just aches and pains to severe tragedy. We are going to experience that as human beings. It's a part of who we are. As flawed and imperfect as it is. But not only are we going to experience the suffering of physical pain, lots of us are going to experience growing pains. Growing pains of conforming and being transformed into something new that we weren't before. Just as a child who grows five inches in one year, I remind myself of Will. Will, every time I see you, you look like you've grown five inches in two days. But I remind myself of a child that grows five inches in one year and and experiences the pain of growing. It hurts to grow like that. And yet it's good. I'm reminded now of being in the labor and delivery room while I watched my wife suffer through the pains of childbearing. But she blessed me with two children, and it's good. I remember what it was like when I was an athlete. Who, when I would come home at night, my bones would ache. Things I didn't even know I had ached. But I did it because I had a goal that I wanted to achieve, and it was good. The pain was good. We are going to experience physical pain, emotional pain, But a lot of us are also going to experience, if we give ourselves to it, growing pain. You see, the life lived in faith is a life learning to become obedient to God. And this is going to involve suffering a growing type of pain as our own paradigms of our own wills learn to die so that the will of God might be conformed to. You see, in Hebrews, faith, faith is more than just a set of beliefs, although faith certainly demands that of us. And for a lot of us, when it comes to faith, that's where we stop at. We just believe something. But the problem with that is, is that you don't need me to come up here and to preach. We don't need to have study. All we should be able to do if faith is only a matter of intellectual assent, all we should do is read the creeds and just ask at the end of the day, does everybody agree, Right? That's what we'll start doing for church now on. We'll all come in. We'll read the creeds. Do you believe these things? You'll say yes. And you think you beat the Baptist to lunch? You'll beat everybody for breakfast. We'll get out of here so fast. But friends, faith is not a matter of belief. Although it certainly demands that of us. Faith is more in Hebrews than a matter of hoping for things not yet seen into the future. Although that definitely has a part in the play. 
Faith in Hebrews is more than just your perseverance, making it through the day until you finally get to the pearly gates. It's more than that. At its core for Hebrews, faith, as modeled by Jesus, is a response to God that demands your obedience. Such faith is a form of suffering. Why is it suffering? Because anytime your will has to be set aside for the sake of another's will, it hurts. It hurts. When Samantha needs me to grade papers, but the Boston Red Sox are playing, but I know she has a ton of papers, it hurts. See, faith is a form of suffering because everyone who beckons the call of God must learn the suffering that comes with letting go of your own desires in life in order to be fully attuned to the one who calls you. You see, this obedience is is, is a call of the Hebrews for the sake of the one who is the source and the perfecter of our salvation. And I'll end with these words. Instead of living a life modeled and attuned to the will of God, the listeners of the Hebrew sermon have stopped doing precisely what they have been called to do. Listen. The way the text reads is actually something like this. They have become lazy in their obedience. They have allowed other things to become more important than the main thing. And as such, what the preacher is saying is to his congregation, you have become apathetic to the calling you have once received. It's not that you don't believe it. It's just that you don't care about it. So what he says, and I love the way that the um, Eugene Peterson, the author of the message, a paraphrase, who by the way has just entered into hospice care. I love what he says. He says, you all have been here so long. You all should be teachers now. And yet, you're still drinking milk. I was reminded yesterday during our charge conference of Bishop Lewis's words around discipleship, that a disciple is a lifelong learner. But she didn't stop there. A disciple is a lifelong learner who's doing what? Influencing others. I was reminded yesterday from another gentleman that a disciple, that an apostle is always a disciple, but not every disciple is also an apostle. One can learn the things of God and never do the things of God. So I love what Eugene Peterson says in his message 
in his final exhortation to the people before he moves into this long discourse of the works of Christ. He says it like this. In the regular reading, it reads this way. Therefore, let us go on towards perfection, leaving behind the basic teachings about Christ. I love this picture. It reminds me of, of Adrian back there. This is what the, the, this is the way he paraphrases it. He says this. He says to the church, so come on. Let's leave the preschool finger-painting exercises and get on learning how to make a grand work of art. What a message for our obedience to Christ. Let's leave behind the preschool finger-painting and become what we were always intended to be. Artists building the kingdom of God. And how do we do that? Through obedience. And what is the way that we enact our obedience? The author of Hebrews says this, obedience is done through listening attuned, making yourself available, being attuned to the works of God in your midst, and then participating in it. Friends, let us all be made obedient this day. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.